0: Amen. Thank you guys and gals for leading us. We appreciate it. Well, we are picking up where we left off in Mark's Gospel, chapter number 7. You know, we've been preaching in Mark's Gospel for the past several months. We're going to continue that today. One of the things that, that amazes me is how God's Word doesn't have to be forced to address whatever day it is in which we are living and today is Father's Day, and lo and behold, here's a good text has something to say to us dads. So Mark chapter 7, we're going to begin in verse number 31, and we'll read through the close of that chapter. So if you have your copy of God's Word in sight, follow along as I read, starting in verse number 31. The Bible says again, He, that is Jesus, went out from the region of Tyre and came through Sid- Sidon to the Sea of Galilee, ...within the region of Decapolis. And they brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty, and they implored him to lay his hand on him. Uh, Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself, put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue, and looking up to heaven with a deep sigh, he said to him, Epaphtha, which means be opened. And his ears were open, and the impediment of his tongue was removed, and he began speaking plainly. And he gave them orders, that is, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone. But the more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. They were utterly astonished, saying, He has done all things well. He makes even the deaf to hear, and the mute to speak. One thing I know about men is that we normally do not like to do things at which we are not good. Am I right? I mean, for example, uh, there's one guy sitting here in our midst who took his wife bowling 20 years ago and she beat him, and he hasn't bowled a frame since. I mean, that's just, Yeah, there you go. I'm not going to call any names, but his initials are Cliff Myers. <laughs> I mean, we we just don't like to do things that we're not good at doing. We seem very uncomfortable and very awkward. For example, how many of you very white men in here like to dance? Raise your hand. Ah, well, Jamie, you must be good at it. You boys get back up here and play a little sweet home Alabama and let's watch Jamie cut the rug, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, most most boys don't like to dance because they have absolutely no rhythm, no groove, and just can't get it on. But there are a few of you I know that can do it, and you don't mind doing it. The rest of us try to avoid it at all costs. I mean, how would you like to see Jerry Newman dancing, huh? Yeah. <laughs> huh? I mean, look, if we announced ne- that Jerry Newman going to dance next Sunday, we could pack this house out, couldn't we? Yes, we could. But look, if we do that to Jerry, we'd have to do it to all of us because uh, we'd all have something that makes us look kind of foolish. There's no doubt about that. Well, yeah, we avoid things we're not good at. But there are some guys who are good. I mean, they're just genuinely good at some things. I've noticed that, and I've observed, and I've watched some of you. For example, if you're going to go skeet shooting, do not take Zach Rotella with you because he will make you look foolish. (laughs) If you are going to go fishing, uh, don't take Colton or Joe with you, because they'll normally make you look pretty silly. And by the way, if you're wanting to go fishing, don't take Jerry Newman with you, because he'll bring Karen, his wife, and she'll make you look silly. (laughs) (laughs) Catching fish. I mean, there, there are some guys that are just good at things. Now, if a... a a, a Greek verb conjugating contest ever breaks out, stay away from me. (laughs) I'm just warning you, I'm going to smoke you in in conjugating Greek (laughs) verbs. You know, I mean, I'm a nerd, I'm a geek, I'm not good at anything, but I can conjugate a Greek verb. And then there are some guys, you know, there's always this one guy that he can do anything and everything. Have you ever noticed that? Do you have that one guy in your circle of friends? that no matter what it is, well, I've never done that before. And he, and he does it and he smokes you at it because he's just that way. I mean, some people just seem to have all the talent. Uh, I've got a couple of friends that I've spent a, a lot of my life trying to think of some, something that they could not do because they're just that way. Uh, they can do everything. Well, I, I want us to think this morning about Jesus in a little different light. Because this text right here, notice what this text says. Uh, Probably the key verse here is verse number 37. Notice what the Bible says. He has done all things well. Now, contrary to our popular conceptions, mostly due to artist renderings of the Lord Jesus Christ, he was in no way an effeminate, girly man with soft hands. Jesus could do anything and everything and He could do it with excellence. I mean, can you imagine the frustration of the disciples if they started throwing a football around on Sunday afternoon after church? I mean, Jesus could just do it all. We know that He was a man's man. I mean, up until He was 30 years old, He was a carpenter. He did not have soft hands. He was a man's man. We have seen here in the Gospel of Mark that Mark, reports literally that Jesus physically threw people out of houses. I mean, He could do whatever He wanted to do and everything that He did, hear me, He was good at it. I mean, I I hear folks sometimes talking about they think the Lord is trying to do something. Mark my word. God doesn't try to do anything. Hear what I'm saying? The Lord doesn't try to do anything. Whatever He wants to do, He does it, and He does it with excellence. He is good at everything. Well, this text brings out a few things at which He is extremely good, and there's some things that we as men and we as followers of Christ uh, maybe ought to develop some of the same characteristics of being good along the same lines at some things at which Jesus was good. So let me spend a few minutes here, maybe 10 or 15 minutes, delineating at least three of them. Number one, notice what it is that this text tells us that Jesus was good at. First thing I think that is included here is found in verses 31 through 33. He's good at dealing with our miserable condition. (laughs) And who doesn't that describe? I mean, this guy here in this story could be the testimony of any one of us because make no mistake about it, if you are living without Christ, you are living in a miserable, pathetic condition. And here this guy was, and and notice what the Bible says about him. The Bible says, uh, beginning in verse uh, 32, that they brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty. Now here's something that's interesting. Let me, let me show you how miserable this guy was. You know, medical experts and people who have these conditions say, and it's a, it's a horrible thing to think, but if you could, if you had to choose which one you were going to lose, your sight or your hearing, which one would you... Man, that's a, that's a difficult decision, is it not? But here's what the medical experts say. The medical experts say that to lose your hearing is exponentially more difficult than losing your sight. And especially if you were born without hearing. This guy here, the text seems to indicate that he had hearing, but for some reason he lost it. And here's the reason why they say that it's, uh, it's more debilitating to be without hearing than it is without sight. Because all of the stigma and all the other things that are associated with not being able to hear. For example, in the old days when somebody was deaf, they used to say about them that they were deaf and what? Deaf and dumb. That's exactly right. Now how would you like to be described that way? Deaf and dumb. Uh, Certainly these people are not dumb. They're not without intelligence, but that stigma is associated because of the way they speak. I mean, stop and think about it. How would you know how to formulate the sounds in any word? Take a simple word like cat. You don't, you don't know how to, how to make your tongue go to your palate or anything. You, you can't even dream of formulating a sound properly. So to listen to someone who cannot hear, you understand they speak in such a way as that stigma comes to them. Even folk who have had their hearing early in life but it's gone away, they tend to lose the ability to speak very plainly. So... Deaf and dumb is often associated with this condition of being deaf. Now, this guy was in a pretty miserable condition. Pretty miserable condition. And by the way, do you know that you could be born with two good ears and still not hear a word that God says? And I think the thrust of this message, the reason Peter dictated and Mark wrote down is because Peter knows it describes him. Every one of us are born spiritually dead. That means that we can't hear. Jesus in John chapter 7 talking to some guy says, You can't hear my word because you are of your father the devil. Hey, you know I see this on TV a good bit talking about we're all the children of God. No, we're not. You're not a child of God until you've been born again by the Spirit of God. When you are born physically, you are born a child of the devil because of what Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden. And people who are spiritually dead, look, they're spiritually blind. Jesus said, you can't even see the kingdom of heaven unless you're born again. He says, you can't hear my word because you are of your father the devil. Paul says that... That that the natural man does not perceive the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he because they are spiritually discerned. Hey, here's what people who have never been born again hear when God's Word is being taught or proclaimed. You know what what they hear? They hear Charlie Brown's teacher, Perry. Walk, 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 walk. Just this week I was working with my engineer friend, Dane Caldwell, And he had to do some pretty high math for me to figure out some construction angles and volumes on a little project we got going on. And he pulled out his phone and started calculating square roots and Pythagorean theorems and all that. And I said, son, you know what I hear? I hear, wah, 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 (laughs) wah. I said, don't need to know how you get there. Just tell me what I need to do. How do I need to nail this? (laughs) That's the way it is. I I had a a pastor friend of mine was with me uh, in Brazil one time. He came down to visit us, and I just happened to be preaching that night in a Brazilian congregation in Portuguese, and when I got done, he said, said, you taught me something tonight. I said, what? He said, you taught me how 50% of the people I preach to on Sunday, how they hear me. Because that's exactly what I heard tonight. I didn't understand a word you said. He said, now I know how my people feel when they listen to me preach. They don't understand a word I say especially those who haven't been born again, cannot hear the Word of God. And so many times I have people ask me, how can someone come and sit in church and hear such a clarion call of the gospel and not respond? And here's how. You can sit here physically and not hear a word spiritually because you're spiritually deaf. And here this old boy was. He was physically deaf, spiritually deaf, and Jesus comes along And he's so good. He's good at everything. He deals with him. Now let me show you a couple of things here and how Jesus dealt with him. But first let me talk to you about this man. He was miserable, but yet he had real friends. What do I mean by that? Because these friends... Notice what the Scripture says about about these friends. Uh, These friends, they brought to him the one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty, and they implored him to lay his hand on him. Here's the deal. You know what a real friend is? A real friend is one who has heard of Jesus. And he takes his friends to the one of whom he's heard. You see, the Bible says faith comes by hearing, and hearing by God's Word. These boys has heard. And by the way, you know how they probably heard of Him? Because He's up in Gentile territory in Tyre and Sidon. He went up there, you remember in Mark chapter 5, when He cast all those demons out of that guy. So they knew very well who He was. These boys had heard of Jesus. They knew their friend needed Jesus. So the ones who had heard took one who had never heard to Him who could do everything good. Now that's real friends, isn't it? Hey, let me say this to you. Friends don't let friends not hear of Jesus. They just don't. They're going to take them to Jesus. So thank God he had good friends. What would have happened to this old boy had he not had these friends who had heard of Jesus? He'd still be deaf. Exactly right. So he was miserable, but he did have real friends. Hey, are you somebody's real friend? Notice what else the Bible says. He was miserable, but he had real friends. And notice, now let's get back to Jesus. This man was miserable, but put a a T in there. But Jesus respects his privacy. Now notice this. Look what the Bible says that Jesus did. Verse number 33. Jesus took him aside from the crowd. And just in case we didn't get it, Mark put a comma and defined what that means. By himself. Are you with me so far? Now watch this. Jesus respects your privacy as much as he respected that guy's privacy. Now what gets me about this is that Jesus was about to do something spectacular and he took this guy off away from the crowd in a private setting and dealt with him privately. Now, does that seem different from what you see today sometimes on TV when you're scrolling through the dials, through the channels? Let me say this to you. Jesus will never make a spectacle out of what He does in your life. Jesus is not going to call you up in front of a crowd on a platform and breathe on you and make you pass out on the floor in front of 5,000 people. He doesn't do that. Oh, that might be the M.O. of some television evangelist, but it is not how Jesus operates. Hear me, you don't have to worry about Jesus making you look foolish. You don't have to worry about Jesus embarrassing you. You don't have to worry about Jesus making you do something that's undignified. Hear me, Jesus doesn't take your dignity. He gives you dignity. He doesn't make you look foolish. Jesus makes you look dignified like you should be as a creation and a child of God. And I still have folk today say to me that they don't want to go to church because they don't know what's going to happen to them. They've seen so much of this sideshow type of Christianity where folk do stuff that does take the dignity of human beings away, and hear me, Jesus is too good to do that to you. He doesn't make a spectacle out of anybody. He respects people's privacy. Now, can I say this to you? When Jesus begins to work in your life, what He's going to do is going to be intimate and private. Have you ever been sitting in a room filled with people and God draw near and all of a sudden it was like there was nobody in the room but you and God? That's a private, intimate moment with God. That's what He does. Hey, salvation is personal. It's private. He's not going to embarrass you. Hey, when He's doing it, He's not going to make a spectacle out of you, but can I say this? It might be private while He's doing it, but after He's done it, everybody's going to know it. Huh? They're just going to be able to see the difference because that's what happens. But you don't have to worry about Jesus embarrassing you. He's not that way. He's too good to do anything other than make you look like the dignified person that He's created you to be. Anything less is not Notice what else the Bible says. He's good at everything. He's good at dealing, number one, with our miserable condition. But number two, check this out. He's good because He is a master of communication. He's a master of communication. And again, let's just plug that little saying right back in. I hear people all the time saying, "I I think the Lord's trying to tell me something. No, the Lord doesn't try. The Lord will tell you because He is good. He doesn't fail. He doesn't beat around the bush. He is direct and He can communicate to you however and whatever He wants to communicate it to you. And here's the deal. Sometimes we just, we just want to play dumb like we don't know what he said. Most times we know exactly what he said. And we know exactly what he's talking about. He's a master of communication. Now look at, look, look at this. Notice what the script, Scripture says. Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself and put his fingers in his ears. Now what's going on here? How do you communicate to somebody who can't hear you? Well, you do it like this. Notice what it is that Jesus did. He arrested his attention with signs. I mean, if, if you don't have auditory ability, you can still hear. You just have to know sign language. Uh, like Miss Tammy communicates. My wife can communicate through sign language. And no matter how... And by the way... When the Scripture says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word, let's don't be legalistic and think you only have to hear right here. If somebody signs it to you and you perceive it, you've got it. And now Jesus is communicating with this guy through sign like who would have ever thought. But here the Lord is a master of communication. So he pulls this guy aside. And here's what he's going to do. He's going to tell him, number one, what he's going to do. So what does he do? He puts his fingers in this guy's... Now, I don't mean he gave him a wet willy. (laughs) You ever had that done? Ever had somebody give you a wet willy? Well, that's not what this is. Jesus is communicating to him what he's going to do. So what's he do? He touches his ears. Check it out. Look, Look what else he does. And, 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 you know, the, the NASB adds this, and I didn't say it because I think it communicates the wrong picture. Look, look what the Bible says. He put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, he touched his tongue. Now, the NASB says he touched his tongue with the saliva, and you see that's in parentheses. That's not in the text. It's not in the Greek text, and I know because I can conjugate a Greek verb. <laughs> All right? Here we go. Here we go. What, what's going on? Jesus is telling him what he's going to do. Number one, he touches deaf guy's ears. Letting him know, I'm fixing to do something about your hearing problem. Next thing he did was he spit. Now, notice what is said here about this guy. He had difficulty in speaking. And after he is cured, the language is Jesus loosed his tongue. Loosed it like it was shackled. We have an expression about that too. We say someone is tongue-tied. Exactly right. So Jesus cut the cord that was tying or shackling his tongue. But now how did Jesus communicate that? He said, I'm going to open your ears and I'm about to fix your tongue. And and I think he did that through spit. And he just went, I'd do it, but y'all would gross out. Just spit on the floor. Now here's the thing. Do you know for you to be able to spit, you've got to have control of your tongue? Did you know that? Hey, go up to Dr. John's office tomorrow. And say, Dr. John, I don't believe that preacher. I've got to try this out. Would you take one of them Novocaine shots and put it right dead in the middle of my tongue? <laughs> and then I'm going to try to spit. You've been to, you've been to Doc and had your teeth worked on and it got into your tongue and he'll always say, now spit right here in this cup. And you look like, <laughs> you can't do it. Can I say, and I'm a redneck so I can say this, spitting is a fine art. <laughs> you got to have control of your tongue, especially if you start getting into placement spitting. You know what I'm talking about? If you're going to be accurate with it at all, you got to have control of your tongue. Uh, look, I, I told you now, I'd up Copenhagen most of my life, so don't, look, I can, look, there's two things I can do. I can conjugate a Greek verb, and I can spit in your eye with Copenhagen. <laughs> All right? So Jesus is communicating to him. Now look, I'm having a little fun here, but Jesus communicates what he did. told him what he was going to do. Touched his ears. He spits. He's got this guy's attention. Are you with me? Notice what else he does. Not only did he tell him what he was going to do by this touch, but he told him how he was going to do it. Notice what else the Bible says Jesus did. Looking up to heaven. How's he going to do it? put his fingers in his ears, spit, looks up to heaven. It's still sign language. What did he just communicate to that guy? Exactly what he said. He said, what's about to happen to you is going to happen through divine power. You see, Jesus lived in constant contact with the Father. There were times when He went off and He spent days in solitude talking with the Father but he was always in contact with him and now he looks up as to say what's about to happen to you is something that comes straight from the hand of the father now let me ask you this jesus looking up to heaven kind of symbolizes prayer and you understand he said that you can't do anything apart from him can't do anything If anything's going to take place in our life that has eternal significance, that is done by the power of God, son, it comes because we are tuned in and plugged in through prayer to heaven's throne. I have to ask myself, how much of what I do in ministry is done in my power? And you know, I can get the answer when I see the results. Because I can tell you what I can do produces no eternal results. But son, what he does when it comes from him, when the power source is God the Father, and Jesus letting him know that it's not me, this is God the Father about to do something for you. He's speaking to this guy through signs, touches his ear, spit, looks up. Then what else does he do? The Bible says he looks up to heaven and with a deep sigh he told him what he was going to do. He told him how he was going to do it. And now he's telling him why he's going to do it. Because Jesus is good this way. Now why was it a deep sigh? Well it couldn't have been a shallow sigh because the guy wouldn't have been able to hear it. So Jesus had to act it out. So he looks up and he gives a deep sigh. You can just see his chest fill and you can see it fall. And that guy understood that Jesus was saying this. Man I I'm so sorry for your condition. I have compassion upon you. I have pity for you. And here he is, the Creator of all, and he's kind of exasperated because of what sin has done in his good creation. And you know that's exactly what he thinks. he looks at us, and he sees us living less than a dignified life, marked by the power. And the Spirit of God kind of sighs because He knows what His intentions are and what sin has done. You see, it's not just good enough to reach out and touch. It's just not good enough to have compassion. Something's got to be done. And notice what He does after He does all of that. He arrested His attention through signs. Next. He opened his ears with a spoken word. Wow. See, he spoke. Notice what the Bible says. He spoke and he he gives this word that Mark translates for us, which means be open. The first thing that guy had heard and no telling how long was the voice of Jesus saying, be open. My goodness. I have folks say to me sometimes, Pastor, I've never heard that before. I've read it, but I've never heard that before. You know what just happened? Boom, it was a spiritual transaction. God opened your ears. I've had folks say, I've never seen this before. You know what happened? God opened your eyes. You don't have the ability to look and see spiritual truths without divine aid and without God opening your ears and opening your eyes. And here it is. His ears are open through the spoken word. Let's get back to our verse. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? Hey, he just spoke the word of God and it opened that guy's hearing. Wow. Well, Jesus is good at everything. He's good at everything. He's good at dealing with our miserable condition. He's good because he's a master of communication. And then finally, he's good at maintaining his course maintaining His course. Now notice, this is kind of strange. And folk often wonder, why would Jesus do something this miraculous and not want anybody to know about it? And here's the reason why. Because He knows and He keeps His priority. And do you know what His priority is? His priority was not faith healing. It's not. His priority is preaching the gospel, so spiritually dead people can come alive. Let me show you how I know. We've seen that all through Mark. He's saying, let's go, let's move from here after he heals some people. He says, let's move from here so I can preach. That's why I came to preach. But let me show you one other place. Notice what it is when he went back to his hometown. Notice in Nazareth, in chapter 6, verse number 5, the Bible said he could do no miracle there except... He laid His hands on a few sick people and healed them. Now do you see what Mark just did right there? Mark just took the miracle of physical healing and put it way down here in a class that's far secondary from what Jesus wants to do. His priority is not physical healing, but yet it kills me. We spend most of our prayer life consumed with the physical rather than the spiritual. And Jesus knows what His priority is. His priority is not healing. His priority is preaching the gospel and bringing dead men and women to life, opening ears and opening eyes and causing people to be born again. Well, He couldn't do that if He allowed these people to sidetrack Him because He healed a few folk. And you know that's exactly what takes place. He keeps maintains his course. Hey, can I ask you, how good are you at maintaining the course? How good are you at knowing your priority and then keeping your priorities? Because here's what I know about people. We do what's important to us. Hey, we can make all the excuses in the world, but bottom line is we do what's important. We do our priorities. We're going to keep them. No matter what else, we're going to do what's important. So, how are you doing at maintaining the course? Keeping your priorities. Well, Jesus is pretty good at it. All these people. Now, notice what takes place. And check this out. It wasn't a one-time thing in verse number 7 because notice, notice the language here. He gave them orders not to tell anyone. But look at this ordered them, do you see that? He kept telling them and kept telling them and kept telling them, don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. This cannot be a side street down which I go. It cannot interrupt, it cannot supplant my priority of preaching God's word to spiritually dead people. The more he ordered them, look, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. And check this out, verse number 7. They were utterly astonished. There's our word again. You know, the Greek word means they were knocked out of self-possession. Knocked out of self-possession. It means that they had no way of relating to what he just did through sensory perception because nothing in life corresponds to this. I don't have anything that is a standard by which I can compare it. So they were kind of knocked out of self-possession, kind of lost control because they had nothing to which they could compare what he did. They were astonished. They were flabbergasted. The more he told them not to tell, the more they. So check this out. He knows it's his priorities, even though this thing was widely published. Now, here's the thing. It seems like the more people know, the harder it would have been for him to maintain the course. But guess what he did? He maintained the course. And you know what it teaches us? It teaches us it doesn't matter what anybody else knows. It doesn't matter what anybody else tries to make you to do. It teaches us that you can keep the course regardless of what everybody else is doing regardless of what they're trying to pull you into, regardless what they're thinking, regardless what they know, regardless how widespread the knowledge is of whatever it is that you don't want them to know, it doesn't have to knock you off your course. He's good at everything. My goodness. He's good at making us be what He wants us to be. So can I ask you this question today? What's Jesus doing in your life? Now I didn't say what's He trying to do. I said what is He doing in your life today? And man, you join Him, He'll make you the person that He wants you to be. You won't be able to hide it because everybody will see it. Because what He does, He does very well. Would you stand with me, please? Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for giving us insight into who Jesus is. And God, we confess so many times that we try to make him less than what he is. And everything he does, he does well. The Bible says that he who began a good work in us will complete it until the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. So God, I pray that this week in us, your good work is going to come to fruition. God, may we through faith take steps toward you this week that reveals just how good you are. And we pray, God, that we won't be able to hide it, that folk will know that whatever's taking place in us and through us isn't from us, but it comes through divine power on high. So I pray for those who are here today, Lord, that have never been born again, they've never really even heard God's Word because they're spiritually deaf. They've never seen you do anything because they're spiritually blind. I pray today, God, it's the day that you have spoken into their life and you've opened their ears, you've given them vision, and you've given them life. I pray for those whom you've spoken to today about keeping their priorities. Lord, they've been off wandering and just haven't had their focus in the right place. God, I pray that you'd call them home. Whatever it is that you are saying, God, privately to them, I pray that those around them will see it this week and glorify our Father who's in heaven. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.